0: Good morning, Friendship Church. It's a great morning. I have the opportunity of representing the search committee and the lay elders this morning, and it's a joy that we get to introduce to you uh, with unanimous support of the search team, the lay elders, and the trustee board, uh, pastoral candidate that we have selected and called uh, pending membership approval for the campus pastor to Shakopee Campus, Pastor Kenny White, has been doing ministry since 1991. Uh, he has been the lead pastor of three churches and currently serves at Cheyenne Hills Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming. He and his wife Cindy have lived there for three years. It's a little bit unusual. And we have a cheering section for Pastor Kenny. I'm told he he told me he said all the children that are in the United States are here. So uh, he has one son that. Cindy and Kenny have one son serving in Kuwait in the Marine Corps, correct? Yes. And so they're familiar with Minnesota as they both are Crown graduates. And they have uh, three that will be attending Crown this fall. So uh, they know Minnesota well. And so would you join me in welcoming Pastor Kenny White as he comes and speaks this morning. Thank you. good job.
1: Thank you, brother. Amen. Well, before we get into uh, too much, I I do want to take just a moment. For years, my illustrations have centered on my children. And uh, a couple weeks, it's been about a month or so probably. My oldest son uh, is an intern near Crown and he got to preach. And his first illustration started with throwing me under the bus and so I was, uh, uh, I was honored. So because of that, I'm going to introduce him real quick. Uh, so go ahead and stand up, guys. Lou and Lily. Uh, Lou's my oldest. Lily is his wife. And then uh, Asher. Go ahead and pop up. Asher, Sophie, Hannah, McKenna, and Bianca. And so, so uh, it's, it just does my daddy heart to see him here. So uh, it's really good. Uh, also, I wanted to take—I meant to do this in the last service—but worship team, thank you, thank you so much. I just feel prepared to go and in, go into the Word because of because of that time. And you're you're blessed here to have a worship team like that. And I also wanted to thank Pastor Matt. It it is one of the scariest things to allow someone else to be in the pulpit where you normally are because you're like. I don't know what's going to happen the next week. Like, what kind of mess am I going to have to fix when I get back? And so uh, pray for Matt. He he may need it when everything is said and done. Uh, but I've sure appreciated him and his family and, and getting to know them a little better. So um, they introduced me, but I don't know you. So I'm going to need you to just introduce yourself real quick. Uh, if you could just tell me your first name. I'll count three. You say it out. Okay? One, two, three. It is so nice to meet you. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming. <laughs> we are so glad you're here. This is great. It's way easier to preach with people in the room than not in the room, so I'm thankful. But I will say, this is a weird, weird time. Can we at least agree that to that? It's a weird time. Yep. Uh, it's super weird. One of the things that I like to do when I preach is see faces. I love to see faces because it helps me to know, oh, they're sleeping. You better just keep moving. Or, you know, they're engaged, and so park it here for a minute, and, and I like that kind of interaction from up front, but with masks, super tricky. You can't really do that. So I need your help. I'm going to implore you. I'm going to beg. I'm going to ask. If you, would, if you feel comfortable doing so, when you agree with something, you may, you may want to say amen, and I want to give you permission, and that would help me to know where you're at with things. So we'll try it. One, two, three. Amen. Good job. You guys nailed it. The the uh, first service, I'm not throwing them under the bus, but I am. They uh, We had to do it twice because the first round of apathy didn't really work. So we had to do it the second time. Uh, let's try one more. Let's try hallelujah. We'll go for that. Okay, on three. One, two, three. Hallelujah. You guys are in. I love it. I love it. There are some other things you could say that'll preach. That's next level stuff. We'll just stick with the basics. Amen. Hallelujah. And we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. Um, you know what? We better pray. Let's, just, <laughs> let's just pray before we go any further. We need Jesus. Lord, we love you and we do thank you and praise you and we ask Almighty God that you would be exalted and lifted up and and Lord, even, even though we we're having some fun, and, and I hope we do this this entire time, this is really about you. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do what only you can do in this place, that you would use these words, that you would speak through me, maybe even in spite of me, that you would shut me up and that your words would be proclaimed today. And Lord, I, I pray for each person here and those who are viewing online that there, there, perhaps, is a message that they need to hear, that we need to hear. So help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. And that in just, I don't know, in a very real way, Almighty God, we would, um, we would respond in faith to you. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy, holy, holy name we pray. Amen. Well, today's message is entitled Perspective is Everything, and it's a little bit of a misnomer. Uh, you know, if, if if you're reading into that don't, I don't mean to imply that truth doesn't matter. Truth does matter. In fact, I think that perspective needs to be based on truth. I believe there are absolute truths that we need to adhere to. In fact, one of my favorite things in the world is when I get pushback on that one and someone says, there are no absolutes. And I love to say, are you absolutely sure? Because if you are, you've just ruined your argument. Um, there are absolutes. I believe that to be true. I think the scriptures point to that reality. And our perspective makes a difference. How we engage with truth around us matters. And so what I'd like to do is uh, do some practice. I have three pictures, okay? These three pictures... They're they're going to be for us to to look at a whole picture, but talk about a perspective. Okay, so they progressively get harder. These pictures, but what I need from you is to yell the first thing that you see in the picture. Okay, so there'll be a a, a large picture. It has multiple things going on in it. The first thing you see, I want you to yell it out. Just kind of get. Um, your perspective on things, okay? Mark said, here we go. Here's the first one. What do you see? Yeah, some people saw a chalice or a vase. Some people saw faces, okay? This one is a little harder. I told you they're going to get progressively harder. So look at this one. Let me know what you see initially. What do you see? A woman. So actually, this is a picture of two women. One is with an older lady with her Chin kind of tucked down. And the other one is a younger lady with her head turned to the side. Do you see that? Anybody see both of those pictures? Okay, a few of you do. Yeah, it's a, this is a tricky one. Um, this next one, because of time, we kind of have to push through this. This next one is the hardest. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you what you're looking for, okay? So I want you to know what you're looking for, but it's going to be really hard. If you're looking for a giraffe, and what you're going to have to do is really kind of stare into the picture, almost through the picture, and I promise you, in a moment, it'll just jump out at you, and you'll be like, oh, there it is. How did I not see that? Okay, so here it is. And you're really going to have to look in. Do you, I mean, just kind of look through that picture, if you would. It really engage. Has anybody seen it yet? Keep looking, because it just kind of jumps right out at you. If you, did, oh, yeah, you see it now. Okay, good. <laughs> It's perspective. Perspective. Perspective is really important. And in this very unique world that we live in, uh, we need a biblical perspective. What does God's word have to say about the times that we live in? So I, I, what I'm about to share is not a political statement. It is, it is not anything except for uh, what you hear. So don't read into it. But the CDC... The government, they have guidelines. Those guidelines are for us to open businesses and open churches. And we follow them. We did in Cheyenne, Wyoming. We, we were out there measuring the six feet, and we put X's and feet and all kinds of stuff so that people would know. Because we wanted to honor the government, because we believe that God put government in place. And so we went through all of that. In Wyoming, we don't have the mask mandate that, that you do here. But there are some stores, national chains, that ask us to wear masks. For example, Walmart has asked us uh, in Wyoming to wear a mask when you come in shopping. And I would tell you that if you would have told me a year ago that to get groceries you're going to have to wear a mask, I would have said, nah, probably not. Uh, that's not going to happen. But it has happened, and that's the world that we live in right now. So if we want to do business... If we want to come and worship at church, then there are some things that we have to follow. And I would just say this, if we are willing to measure out steps, if we are willing to wear masks, if we're willing to go down these roads to the nth degree, whatever that is, so that we can do business, so that we can worship, then how much more important is it for us to get in the word of God and to know what God has to say about these things? You know, uh, about a year ago, we started a plan for 2020, and everyone had the same theme, 2020 vision, right? 2020 vision. We're 2020, And I think perhaps we did get 2020 vision, but it was God's vision. And maybe there are some things that are happening. I'm not saying that God has put COVID in place, but I am saying that he's at least allowed it. At minimum, he's allowed it. Now, with having said that, what what does God want from all of this? What does he want us to do? How does he want us to respond? And so what I'd like to do is go ahead and look at 2 Chronicles. So 2 Chronicles, if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to to use that. I do have have this one up on the screen, but I I want to give a little bit of context around this before we jump into it. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Now... One of the things that I feel like you always have to be careful of is there's context in Scripture, right? So when we read Scripture, we don't just automatically make this leap that this applies to me and this is how it applies to me. We have to look at the context of the Scripture and recognize that it was written to a certain group of people for a specific purpose. And there may be some principles that cross-pollinate through time and culture and land on us where we're at today. And so that's what I like to do is to look at Scripture and say, okay, well, what sort of principles can we pull out and how do we apply them to our world? Having said that, I need to tell you that if you ever, in fact, if you go online and you listen to any of my, any of my sermons and you hear me not mention Jesus... Would you just take me out back and beat me? Would you do that for me? Like, that would be a gift. And I, I say that not tongue-in-cheek. Like, I mean that sincerely because I have no other message. It's Jesus and Jesus only. That's that's what that's what we preach. That's why we're here. Thank you. But it is why we're here, right? I mean, uh, I, I, I met a lady. She's a Messianic Jew in Israel, and I said this. I said, I'll bet Easter is really cool in Israel. And she goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I mean, celebrating Easter, you know, like in March, April, when Easter comes, is pretty cool in Israel, right? I mean, a, a, in the church. And, and she said, well, we celebrate the biblical feast. And then she said this, but honey, we celebrate the resurrection every
0: Sunday. That's why we get together. Okay.
1: So he is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. One more time. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't great. You guys. Okay. Amen. Amen, all right, good job. So second chronicles. this was written to the children of Israel. They had a tabernacle. The tabernacle was a tent, and it moved around and then it was placed in Shiloh uh, while it was in Shiloh, it was stationary and David eventually makes this comment that he 's going to build a house for God, and God says, not you there 's too much blood under your brain i 'm saving it for someone else, your son solomon and in In uh, second Chronicles chapter seven, what we see is that Solomon completes the temple. And there is celebration. I mean, it is amazing celebration that happens. There are sacrifices and worship and people down on their knees before God and and repentance and love and excitement. And it is, like, chapter 7 is a cool chapter. And then this, this thing hits. Like, I don't know, almost out of nowhere, verse 13 hits, and I, and I just want to share it before, uh, we, we read through verse 14. It says this, uh, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Did you catch that? God says, when I do that, when this happens, then what? Friends, there is a worldwide pandemic going on. In the United States of America, we are probably as divided as we've been at least in most of our lifetimes. Well, maybe God has something to say about it. And if we're willing to measure out six feet and keep social distance, and if we're willing to wear masks, and if we're willing to do all of the checks that we need to do so that we can engage in business and in worship, then I believe with all of my heart, we need to follow God's principles, like even more so. Let's let's dig into this and see what he has to say. So when all of these things happen, God goes on to say this, if my people who are called by my name. Now, I, I recognize that in the context here, he's talking about Israel. By extension, that's believers who have received Jesus as their Savior. Okay, so that's how we're we're taking this from the Old Testament and applying it to our lives. If my people who are called by my, my name, those people who have surrendered to Jesus as their Savior, okay, that's us. Let's see what he has to say. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then i will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land do, do you think we need our land heal, healed do you think that's do you think that's something we need i do i go on social media and my heart breaks i see family and friends that are bickering over silly stuff that has no eternal consequence i see believers who are bickering and fighting and my heart breaks. I was like, really? That's the, that's the hill we're going to stand on. Come on. And My heart breaks. And I just wonder what God is saying. I wonder, I wonder if maybe God is going back to that. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. So let's start there. Humble has this idea of bowing down, of getting down on our knees. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a physical thought of humility. I'm being humbled. I'm coming down on my knees. I am not the greatest, but I'm humble. It's a physical position. Why is that necessary? Because we have rights. I mean, I've heard people spout it a lot. We all have rights. Really? Maybe. I mean, we're American citizens. We have rights but we've also been bought with a price. And because we've been bought with a price, we have to, we have to humbly enter into this place so and God, what do you have? What do you want in this place? How do I represent you in this place? How do I love you best in this place? How do I extend that love that you have given to me to others in this place? What's that look like, God? There's this great story in the New Testament The story starts with this woman who has this issue of blood. It's a terrible story for her because culturally speaking, she's unclean. She walks in a room and they're like, unclean. How would you like that when you walk in a room? You can't even sit where she's been because it's unclean. And then you have to go through this ceremonial wash and it's not convenient at all. It's not just a prayer you pray. You have to go through a ceremony to get clean because this woman is unclean. She goes to doctors, and they can't fix her. And she tries medicine, and it it doesn't work. And she sees Jesus walking in this crowd, and she gets in close. She grabs the hem of his garment, and he meets her in that place. Why? Because she's humble, and she comes down. I wonder if we would be willing to do that. I wonder if we would be willing to be humble like that. It goes on to say, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and that idea of pray and seek my face, uh, I like that it's together. I think... Uh, I think it gives even more weight to the issue of prayer. If you want to think in terms of prayer as continuing a relationship with God, you're in this covenant relationship always. And this this prayer is certainly something that, that we say, but it's also an attitude and a lifestyle. And it's not just like we're rubbing this genie's lamp of, give me, give me, give me, God. You know, it's not that. But it is this idea of I'm humbly entering into your presence, God, and I need you. Like that woman who needed you, who reached out and grabbed the hem of your garment, Jesus, I need you in this moment. When I see my friends and my family bickering, when I see family members and neighbors who don't know you, Lord, I need you. When I see division in our communities and hurt, Jesus, I need you. We need you. That's the place that we've been called to be, to seek God. All right. And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The the idea is repentance, okay? So, you know, wicked. How many of you think of sin in your life as you being wicked? Like, we don't like to even say that. That feels kind of yucky. Wicked. Wicked. I got issues. I wouldn't say wicked. It's issues. Anybody ever heard that phrase? That person has issues. Yeah, it's issues. Yeah, in the old days, we just called it sin. Uh, that's sin. And we shouldn't do that. Why? Because it breaks God's heart. Like Jesus, he came and he died on the cross for our sins. He, he gave his life that we could have life. That's a big deal. And we, we can't just pass it off as An issue. He died for that issue. And so God is saying, if you want your land healed, then come before me and turn from that good way. We call it repentance, and repentance looks like this. You're moving in one direction, and you turn and go toward God. Now, it's a little bit more than that, because it also has the idea behind it that our our minds are changed. Make sense? So it's like this. I'm going in this direction. And that's the wrong direction. I need to follow God. In fact, I want to follow God because I recognize that my sin comes at a cost. And my Savior died on the cross for that sin. Continuing on. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. What... I don't know, I'm not, I'm, not pre, I'm not presuming, but sometimes, you know, I have these, shot, these thoughts that I just kind of work through in my own head when I have alone time, I'm like, hmm, I wonder about this, and I wonder, I just wonder, I wonder, if maybe, 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 God is just going, church, I'm waiting, come on, bride, I'm waiting, Just, just humble yourself, Just pray, just seek my face. The whole world has been pushed on pause. Everyone's been sent to their room and got a timeout. I just need you, church. I just need you to step into this. I wonder, I just wonder, maybe, what would happen? What could happen? Well, let's consider that for a moment. Scott County, Minnesota has 141,000, approximately, 141,000 people in it. That's a lot of people. Out of that, 52% say that they are religious. They define that a lot of different ways. It's very loose. When you look at those numbers a little bit closer, the best I can tell, is about 7% say that they believe Jesus is the Savior, that the only way to heaven is through Christ, about 7%. That's roughly 9,900 people. So what that means is, there are approximately 131,000 people in Scott County alone who don't know Jesus as their Savior. We can't be silent. Like, it's not an option. You and I are stewards of this incredible message, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me give it to you really quick. We're sinners and need a Savior. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave, and he gives life to anybody who would call on him. There's not qualifications based on skin color, based on economics, uh, based on last names, based on what church you go to. It's a relationship with him, period. That's it. That's good news. That's good news because he's the qualifier, not me. I don't have to qualify for it. He's done that work. That's a beautiful thing. A beautiful thing. And and, And our communities need to hear this. Here's what happened. This message of the gospel of Jesus Christ started in Jerusalem and it spread out into the Roman world. Went throughout the Roman world and up into what we would consider Germany and all the way up into England. The message started to get watered down. Crossed over into Ireland with a new fervor and excitement. And that message went back into Europe. With a, an excitement and a fervor that started to transform the communities and then there was religious persecution. And then those people who were being religiously persecuted came over to the, what we consider now the United States and that gospel message got spread. You and I are here today because somebody heard that message from somebody who heard that message, who heard that message, who heard all the way back to Jerusalem. And it's been given to us not to hold to it and like, okay, I am this dead end of God's grace; it doesn't go any further. No, it's been given to us to give away. That they could have life, that our communities could have life. And again, if we're going to go through all of the work of social distancing and masks and whatever else comes our way, then shouldn't we also look into what God has for us? And one of those things that He has for us is to follow Him in obedience and in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And Jesus ends it with, and I'm with you always. That's pretty cool. So how do we know that we've made it? How do we know that we've done what we've talked about? I think there are a couple of answers to that. One, it might look like love Live, serve like Christ, I think it could, but I think there there may be also some other identifiers, and so uh, i I'm, I apologize i don 't i don 't have the right slide up, um, uh, but if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians chapter five, and we 're going to look at verse uh, sixteen through nineteen. I love this this passage it 's a great it 's a great calibrator, you know what I mean by a calibrator you know um, a long time ago, when I only had two children um, i was I was learning how to fly airplanes, and I really enjoyed it and what I found out is I could go twenty miles and I could look down and go ooh i 'm off course and easily correct within twenty miles, not a big deal, however, if I went a thousand miles, and I was off even one degree, it could put me in a different country. It could put me in a bad spot. There's no just identifying it from uh, the window. It's much, much harder. This is one of those passages that calibrates for us. It helps us to make sure that we're, we're tracking where we need to be tracking. Have we been good at humbling ourselves, at praying, of seeking God's face? Have we... Well, maybe this is a this is a good calibrator to identify it. First Thessalonians chapter five. We're starting in verse sixteen. First Thessalonians chapter five, and it, it says like this Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why should I do that? Glad you asked. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Sometimes we get caught up in like, what job should I have? Who should I marry? Those are important questions. But if you want to know God's will, start here and the other stuff, it falls into place. This, this is one of those calibrating passages. Rejoice always. I have a confession to make. I mentioned Walmart and the mask thing in Wyoming. And, uh, I went in there, I think it was the day after they started the policy. I had such a bad attitude. Don't tell my wife. I don't think she caught on. Um. <laughs> yeah, she did. But I had such a bad attitude going in there. And I'm looking around, and I, I couldn't understand people in their muffles. <laughs> what are you saying? I, I, I have no idea what you're saying. Which also speaks to me getting older and not hearing as well, and that's a different story altogether. But it just, it just aggravated me. And you know what? I looked around and everyone else was aggravated too. Everyone. Everyone in that place was aggravated. I wonder what would have happened if I would have been rejoicing instead. I wonder if it would have made a difference. I suspect it would. The next verse is this. or The next part of that is, Give thanks and also, or I'm sorry, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you should be on your knees 24-7 praying, but it is speaking to this relationship that we have with God, that whether we're sleeping or awake, we're in communion with him. We are in relationship with him. He doesn't leave us or forsake us. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. That is good news. And we need to spend that time. So what that means is Jesus isn't just important on Sunday. He's also important when I go into Walmart, and he's also important when I'm at home talking to my friends, uh, talking to my family. Uh, He's also important to me when I'm at work or when we're at school. He's important, all areas. And then, for this is the, or I'm sorry, give thanks in all circumstances. Even for this, I want to tell you that a little tweak goes a long way. It's so much fun to see, uh, well, I'll just say it this way. I adore messing with people. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I get it, I get it back. I take it pretty well, but then I have to do it again, and so um, that's part of it, all this. My mom loves Christmas, and you think you know what I mean when I say that. You don't. You have no clue. My mom loves Christmas. She celebrates Christmas all year round. She loves Christmas. She loves everything about Christmas. She loves gifts. It's her love language. She loves to give gifts. She loves to receive gifts. My mom loves Christmas. And one year after we had moved into our home, it was October, and she said, I noticed you don't have a good Christmas tree. (laughs) What? Uh, It's October, mom. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I'm going to send you a Christmas tree. Okay, okay. So I'm thinking she's going to send it. We'll put it in storage until Christmas. That's not what she meant. So did you get the tree? Yep, I got the tree, Mom. Uh, Okay, I'll be up and we'll decorate it this weekend. We were going to beat Walmart with getting Christmas trees out, okay? That's significant and frustrating. Uh, She shows up and I'm like, Mom, we don't have to do this right now. And she gave me that look that meant, Shut up and do what I say. And so that's what happened. We put up our Christmas tree in October, in front of a window. And I went down to the local restaurant. <laughs> I went down in front of the local uh, to the local restaurant that that we used to have all our meetings at. And um, <laughs> the lady goes, "Hey, there's a Christmas tree up at your house." <laughs> like it was a surprise, you know. Like, oh, really? In my house? yeah, yeah, Joan, there's a tree up in my house. Well, people are talking. (laughs) Okay. So Cindy and I are thinking like, how do we redeem this? How do we make this work? I'm not sure. And so we talked about it and uh, Halloween was coming up and we said, okay, let's dress up like Santa and Mrs. Claus and let's hand out milk and cookies to the kids. And so we went outside and uh, we set up this little area and that's exactly what we did. And these little kids, they would come up and they're like, oh, Santa, can I get a picture? I'm like, yeah, sure. So they they'd come up and uh, they, they wanted a picture and we get ready to go for a picture. I say, hey, have you been good this year? And he's like, oh yeah. I said, why are you dressed like a vampire then? <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought of that. Um, you know, it was <laughs> I told you I like messing with people. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. But what happened is, in that community, it started this discussion like, you guys really love Christmas. Well, actually, we really love Jesus. And it started a conversation, just a tweak on a perspective. I could give you hundreds of stories of people who just just tweaked it a little bit, just changed the narrative just a little bit. And their perspective brought life into a community, into a home, into people, And those lives were transformed and changed for the glory of God. 131,000 people in our community who is desperate to hear hope and we got it in spades. Let's give them hope. Let's see what God will do. But it's gonna require us to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. Now those wicked ways are called sin. And so I wouldn't be doing my job right if I didn't give us just an opportunity before God to pause and to ask God, are there any wicked ways in me for each of us individually to God? Is there something here that you need? You need to correct, and I want to tell you that because of the work of Jesus, there is this beautiful truth that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a wonderful God we serve. Amen. Amen. And so just take a couple of moments, and then at the end of this time, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for you and say a blessing over you as the worship team comes now. Jesus, we do love you and we need you. And Father, just in this, in this moment before you, I, I ask for each of us that we would have a clarity of mind of just considering our own hearts and what's happening within them. To recognize perhaps some emotions and thoughts that have penetrated deep into our soul. And those things at times have been wicked. Wicked. And Lord, our land needs healed. And one of the ways you tell us healing can come is if we repent, if we seek you. And so we are, Lord. I ask for forgiveness. Lord, I I ask that you would forgive the sins that we have hidden away, that we've kept others from, that no one knows about but us and you. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, I pray for healing in this land, that there would be that. That, Lord, there, there wouldn't, we wouldn't divide things like right and left, and we wouldn't divide things by masks or no masks, but, Lord, that we would see that we have this perspective that changes everything when it's a biblical perspective. Give us that as we go from this place. In Jesus' name. And I just want to ask you now to stand, and I want to, I want to say a blessing over you. And just the children of Israel would gather, and the high priest would say this blessing. And so we are joining people all over the world throughout time who've had this set on them, and the significance is that God's name dwells with them wherever they go from this place. So receive it now. The Lord bless you and keep you.